0: Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply his word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on Southridgecc.org. So let's get started.
1: Greeting to all that are here this morning in person and those that are online. And uh, I just want to especially greet, I just saw just now that Dan and Ellie McLean are here some of our extend ministry partners, and if you would just want to greet them with a hand, they're here for uh, on furlough. I'm sure their mother is very happy, Leah, that all three girls are here this morning. How exciting! And your granddaughter singing as well. So um, I just uh, I just love love Dick Dick Brand. Um, if you don't know Dick and his wife Sandra, I just encourage you to get to know them. Um, they're just effervescent people. Like they just live. Jesus clearly as how they greet you at the door and how they just walk through life. And they just have an incredible story. And you know what? The reality is, like, we all have great stories. Like, maybe their story is a little different than yours. Maybe they're more outgoing than you are, but your story is just as important to God as theirs. And I just think as people and as the church, like, we need to be engaged and involved in everyone's story. Like, every, every story in here is important, and every story counts God. And this week has been a tough week when you think about stuff. I'm going to have Bart up here later. And, uh, you know, one of our, our neighbor's wives passed away. And so we were at a funeral home yesterday, uh, Bert Herrera's wife, Laura. And just such a tragedy at a young age of 56 to see that. And several other people that we know of, and then the situation in Haiti and the situation in Afghanistan. Um, there's so many people, and the reality is like every single one of those people have a story. Like the people in Haiti dealing with tragedy, the people in Afghanistan facing persecution and facing so many difficulties, their story is just like your story. And God knows their story and how incredible it is to know that the God of the universe knows your story. And we need to be people in a church, the church of Jesus Christ abroad and the church of Jesus Christ here that is engaged in praying and caring for people, not only here in our community, but also around the world and around the globe. And sometimes we feel like we can't do that. We need to stay within ourselves. I just want to encourage us to not do that, to to broaden our horizons and to pray specifically for people all over the globe. I know I, I went to Haiti when I was in college. It, it changed my life. I was 19 years old, went on a mission trip, and engaged with with people that had, in in our mind, had nothing, and yet people that had everything, and people that really impacted me by the joy that they had in their life uh, in a world that they didn't have anything that I had, and I thought the things that are important for living. Um, And it really kind of relates almost to what we're talking about today, the cliche Christianity, that, you know, the cliche that we're talking about today is that God will never give you more than you can handle. God will never give you more than you can handle. I I don't think there's there's a more... Uh, misread, misunderstood cliche than that, because the reality is the exact opposite. There is nothing you can handle without God. There's nothing you can handle without God, nothing. You woke up this morning, you couldn't breathe unless God gave you breath. We can't exist without, we don't control the, the earth going around the sun, we don't control gravity, we don't control our, our mind, our, our thoughts, I can't speak without God, I can't think without God, I can't breathe without God. So how do we get to the point where we think that God will never give us more than we can handle? We need to get to the point where we understand that we can't handle anything without God. We need God for every part of our life. And, you know, you know like every cult or every untruth or every cliche starts with an element of truth, right? So a lot of us that grew up in a church, we memorize like 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted Beyond which you are able. And in First 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, His divine grace has given us everything that we need to live. And so we take those out of context and we think, I have the ability to handle anything, and I really need God for the overflow. Because God's never going to give me more than I can handle. He's not going to tempt me more than I, I, I can I can bear. So therefore, I can handle everything in my life until something tragic happens. That's when I need God. Kind of started in, in, the, in the garden, right? With Adam and Eve and And God created Adam and Eve. They were not evolutionary people from an ape or a molecule. God intentionally created them just like he created us. And it says that they were walked with God. They were naked, innocent, walking with God, right? And then Satan came along and said, you know what? You don't need God. That fruit that he told you not to eat, he's just afraid of what happens if you eat that. And so When they grabbed that fruit, when Adam and Eve grabbed that fruit, when they said, I don't need God, and they grabbed that fruit, everything changed. Man was separated from God. Ever since that point, like God of the universe, instead of leaving us alone, right, he pursued us with his grace. He sent his only son, Jesus, to die for us on the cross so that we could come back into communion with him so we could fully understand that I can't do anything without God. And at one time, we're going to be, those of us that know Jesus are going to walk again with God. I'm not sure if we're going to be naked or not. Maybe Nathan or Jeremy could talk about that, but we're going to be innocent and in love and walking with God again. That's the goal. In between, we need to figure out how to live. We need to figure out that I need God for everything, even though I, and I'm a man, and it, so it's an American thing, and we're supposed to be tough and strong and figure it out, and, and it's the natural thing that we think That I have to do, and so every single day I fail because I try to do stuff without God. I need to continually, daily understand that I can't live, I can't live without God. Dick read 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I would tell you that I think that's arguably the most powerful passage, one of the most powerful passages in the Bible when you talk about how are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to live? I think he gives us the key. Paul gives us the key to living effectively in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And there's three things that I want to point out. The first is this, that you are chosen. Jesus says in John 15, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. 1 Peter 2.9, For you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Who was Saul? Who was the apostle Paul? Right? The apostle Paul was was if you read about it, probably one of the most attacked people in the history, right? The Jewish leaders attacked him. The Christian leaders attacked him. The Romans attacked him. He was stoned, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was spit upon. He was rejected, almost treated like Jesus was, right? And the reality is who was Saul? Well, Saul describes himself as a in the chapter before as a Jews Jew, right? He was an educated he was a Pharisee, he was following what he thought God wanted him to do. So he saw Jesus Christ come, and he said, Jesus Christ, the followers of Jesus, he is not the Messiah. So he oversaw the persecution of Christians. In fact, you read in Acts where um, the stoning of Stephen, and there was Saul in the presence. Saul did nothing, nothing, to merit being chosen by God to write the New Testament to be one of the most powerful preachers of, of the gospel and the history of the world, one of those powerful Christians, Saul did nothing. And yet Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And took that man Saul and he became Paul and he became one of the greatest Christians of all time. John Ciata spoke a couple of weeks ago about, about, about Moses. Moses, the murderer. Moses who ran away. God chose Moses to lead his people out of the promised land. God chose. Mary Magdalene with seven demons to be one of his most incredible followers. God chose Mary for some unknown reason to be the, the mother of Jesus. God chose David, the smallest in his family, to be the king. And sometimes we think, well, like, God only chooses people like that, and God only chooses Dan and Ellie to go to be a missionary, or only chooses Nathan Tucker to be a pastor. God has chosen you. He's chosen you. Like you specifically, he knows who you are, and he's chosen you. And he's chosen you for his purposes. Like I, you know, there's that whole thing of predestination and free will, and churches have split over that, and people write theological statements about all that kind of stuff. Basically, did God choose you, or did you choose God, right? And so people come on both sides of those things. But I think Jesus is pretty clear. My dad always talked about those were two truths that ran like railroad tracks they didn't intersect. They both were true. God did choose us, and we have as free will the ability to choose and accept what God is is saying to us. So they're both true, but it really starts by the fact that God chooses us. Jesus came to die on the cross, not just for somebody else. He came to die for me, and he came to die for you. It didn't come just so that we'd go to heaven and be naked and run around in the garden, he came because he has a purpose for us to live. Like he has a, a role for you to play. Like Saul had no idea that his life would end up the way that it was, but it did, because he accepted the role that God had given him. He, he accepted Jesus as his savior, and then he, he lived in the role that God had made him to live. It said in 2 Timothy 1:9, Paul again says to Timothy, "He has saved us and called us." To a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his purpose and grace. You are chosen. Do you feel that? The God of the universe has chosen you. And he loves you desperately. And he sent his son to die for you. And he has a purpose for you to live. And it's so often different from the purposes that we think we're supposed to live here as an American. We're chosen. The second thing is, is we're weak. Second Timothy 1.15, First 1 Timothy 1.15, Jesus says, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, Paul says. Romans 3, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight in the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and prophets testify. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Talk about the fact that Paul was attacked. People just challenged him, like, who are you to be this preacher? Who are you to talk to us about how to live for him? And so Paul tells a story. And Paul says, you know what? If you look at the beginning of chapter 12, he says, I had an experience that almost no one in the world has ever had. I went to the third heaven. I went and I saw God. I was in a, he said, I I don't even know. Was it in a dream? Was it reality? Was I there in person? I'm not sure. You have to ask God. But I had an experience that very few people have ever had. And it's the kind of experience that most people get up on stage and say, here's what I saw. Here's what I experienced. I saw God. He told me this. He said, that happened to me. And I could really, I could brag about that if I really wanted to, because I really experienced God. But he said, for some reason, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. In fact, he talks about it as a messenger of Satan. There's a lot here to, to kind of weed through, right? But he had something that happened. And people have speculated for years, was it a physical ailment? Was it a mental illness? Was it was something that, that he struggled with? But he prayed three times, like so many of us pray so hard that God will release us from whatever it is that we're struggling with. And God, for his own, in his own inimitable knowledge, and God, who is the healer who could heal Paul, said, no, I'm not going to hear you because my weakness, your weakness, my, I, I, my strength is perfected in your weakness. Paul had to understand that, that he was weak, and when he was weak, he is strong. It's so un-American I don't want to say that in a wrong way, right? So un as a man to say that I'm weak. But I really only am a sinner saved by grace. I don't have the ability to do anything. I, I can't determine. Jesus says you, can't, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen now. Like you need Jesus for every part of your life. You're not strong enough. You're not tough enough. You can't do it. You need Jesus to guide every part of your life. And it starts with understanding our role. Our role is to understand that I need a Savior because I am weak. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 is grace by you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Just a little aside, I always kind of talk, encourage you guys to watch The Chosen. I don't know if anybody, anybody watch The Chosen? If you haven't watched The Chosen, you need to do it. I'm just telling you, you need to do it. You will not regret watching The Chosen. So this year, Season two, and he—he's an—you know—he's he, an artist, so he takes some license, and maybe there's some things that aren't necessarily biblical, and it was disturbing. One of one of the seasons, I, one of the shows I watched, where he had he showed Mary Magdalene, uh, kind of losing a little bit, kind of going off and and failing, and it's not in the Bible, right? So you can say, well, that's not biblical, but I think we all understand what it means to backslide and to slip away, and. So she slipped away into some stuff, and the disciples went to find her, and they brought her back, and she said, I don't want to go, I don't want to go see Jesus. Like he he cast demons out of me, he saved me, and I don't want to look at him again because I've let him down. To me, it was one of the most powerful scenes I've ever seen where Jesus looks at Mary Magdalene and just loves her. Mary, I'm not here to judge you. I just I love you. You're my daughter. That's who Jesus is. Like we are weak but he is our strength. Like we need to cling to him and everything. So a final thought is just that we're called, we're called to surrender. You know, last year we did Psalm 23, and um, I did. I spoke on verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And those verses have not gone out of my head. That every single day, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of my life. And Lamentations 3 has become special too. The steadfast love of God never ends his mercies never cease they are new every day great is your faithfulness the god of the universe pursues you with his grace and his love every day over and over and over it never runs out and we're just called to surrender i love i love lee i love your old family and so kaya is one of my favorite people in the world and so we had a Rehearsal the other night, and Kai said, "Well, Dan, what does it mean to surrender? Like, what does it mean? How's that? What does that look like? You know, it's. I always love questions because we think we know the answers, and we really don't know the answers. And that's a, it's a challenge to understand what it really means to surrender. How do I actually surrender? You know, it's a conscious understanding to know that everything that I have is God's. I don't have anything. I don't own anything. I don't, my intelligence, my possessions, my." intelligence my whatever it may be that we think that we have we owe it all to god and i need to consciously every single day give it to him you know he ends in verse verse 10 with a pretty strong hard verse therefore i will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that christ's power may rest in me that is why for christ's sake i delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecution and difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. The God of the universe loves you desperately. You are chosen. You are weak, and you need a savior, and we need to surrender. I'm going to ask my friend Bart Bartholomew to come up to share a little bit. Bart moved into our neighborhood about 15 years ago. Um, has three special girls. And a wife, Lisa. And uh, Bart, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself.
2: Sure. (laughs) Uh, My wife and I have been coming here and we became members back in 2006. Uh, Thank you to the Arthurs who exposed us to Southridge. Uh, I have three adult children right now 25, 24, and 19. And um, I'll be the first to tell you, life isn't easy at times, it can be a struggle. But uh, knowing that. God is always with us, gives me uh, some comfort. Mm-hmm. So,
1: you, uh, you had a kind of a tragic experience happen uh, about 20 years ago. If you want to share that with
2: everyone, yeah, I'll just share a little bit. You know, I've always been a believer, but uh, I won't say I was an active follower of Christ. But back in 2002, it was Palm Sunday, I had a four year old daughter my first wife and I were teaching Sunday school, seventh grade. She was 26 weeks pregnant, and uh, we were transitioning from Sunday school to nursery. And she looked at me and said, I feel dizzy. And she fell over. And it was the first time in my life I couldn't control something. And uh, I just, I knew deep down that it wasn't good. And uh, the ambulance came. She was not responding to CPR or an AED, and they rushed her to the hospital. And when I got there, they told me she had passed, but they saved the baby, who was 26 weeks. And the prognosis wasn't good. They said she'll be lucky if she lives, and if she lives, she'll probably be uh, mentally disabled, unable to walk, talk, etc. cetera. Um, so, wow, you know. All of a sudden, I go from (laughs) having life in control to being totally out of control.
1: I know you were struck when I said uh, the the cliche, that God never gives you more than you can handle.
2: Yeah, I kept telling myself that, is God will never give me more than I can handle. And, you know, I will say that event in my life drew me closer to God because I turned to Him. You know, people would ask me, did you get angry? No, I never got angry at God. I never asked Him why. Uh, today I can say, why not me? Bad things happen to people. You know, I'm, I'm not immune to that. But I kept telling myself, you know, God won't give me more than I can handle. And, uh, and the reality is I couldn't handle it alone. I mean, just imagine you're a man, a father,
1: a four-year-old, a a baby just born at 26 weeks, and your wife just died. Like, how did how did you do it? How did you?
2: You know, I think God put people in my life that today I can look back. Uh, My youngest, her nurse, was a faithful follower of Christ, and when I was in the NICU, she was there for three months. She had a severe brain bleed. Uh, that woman took her under her wing and prayed over her every single day. And one day I walked into the hospital and the doctor said, I don't get it. It's clear. I've never seen this happen before. And and nurse Marlene looked at me and she said, that's because we're not in control. God is. and And he makes miracles happen. So I saw that miracle happen, which strengthened my faith. <clears throat> and yet... You know, there were people throughout that journey that came around me and lifted me up. And, you know, I continued to focus on God. Uh, And I don't know, I think God just gives you the ability to to deal with things. But I can say in the long run, I wasn't dealing with it the way I should have probably.
1: (laughs) I was struck by one thing you said about how people didn't know what to say to you. How could you encourage people about
2: that? Yeah, I think when you're faced with that situation, as Dan just said, we lost a dear friend of ours, and uh, it was tough. And and I'll just, I say, go up to people and say, I'm here for you. How are you feeling? I can pray for you. Uh, The cliches that we tend to say is, oh, God has a better purpose for, for that person, or it'll be all Right. I mean, it doesn't sit well because at the time it's not okay. It it feels really bad Hmm. (laughs) and it doesn't feel okay. And it's okay to say that to people. Like, I get it. This stinks. It doesn't seem fair, but I'm here for you.
1: I apologize if I didn't say this before, but I just really appreciate you being willing to to share your story in in front of everyone here. And um, I love you for that. And um, Love you too. Thanks. I know you've shared a little bit about uh, some addiction stuff, and just I don't know what you wanted to
0: share about.
2: Yeah, so you know, one of the things I want to share is in in my life so far, I found whenever I put something ahead of God, (laughs) that's when I tend to struggle. So I, you know, new family, new wife, beautiful wife, beautiful kids, and. You know, life struggles happen, you're blending a a family together, there's a lot of people who don't like what's going on, they're putting pressure on you, and um, what I found myself doing was having a lot of fear and anxiety, so what did I turn to? I turned to alcohol, and you know, I was one of those lonely drinkers when everyone was in bed is when I was numbing the pain that I was feeling, and I wasn't turning to God, you know, I was putting alcohol ahead of my savior. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I can tell you that the, the journey down that path is not a good one. Mm.
1: Celebrate Recovery is starting
2: here, I think, in the fall,
1: right? And I know some It's of the actually going to
2: kick off September 24th.
1: I know some of their principals talk about surrendering. Like, what does that look like?
2: Yeah, let me uh, surrender was never in my vocabulary. I always saw surrender as a weakness. You know, win at all costs, never give up, don't wave the white flag. And, you know, 12 years ago when I walked into recovery, um, I learned that surrender was giving me the victory over my addiction. Um, and, and what that means to me is I'm turning my life and my will over to care of God as I understood him. And he's going to deliver me from the insanity that I'm experiencing. Uh, and that's what the AA steps are all about. That's what Celebrate Recovery and Pete Gatto's R-Hub is about. It's it's about putting God first in your life. And, you know, I don't know why the addiction was lifted. All I can do is give grace to God that, yeah. that he lifted it from me, that merciless obsession, uh, because, you know, the second step is I came to believe a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, and that power is Jesus Christ, and that his, his death on the cross saves me from my sin or my addiction.
1: I know we talked about, like, the first step of Celebrate Recovery says, realize I am not God. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong things and that my life is unmanageable. And I kind of feel like I've always felt like that's, that's all of us, like, and it's not whether you have struggled with something or not, that's a a truth that we all need to grab hold of, that we are all, our life is only unmanageable. We need to surrender to God fully.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, today I'm not perfect by any means, but, you know, I have a lot of gratitude for for what I have today And, and, and not the possessions and not the career and not the accolades and not the pats on the back. It's It's that I have breath in my lungs today, that I have a wonderful family around me, that I have a church family. And, uh, you know, I used to feel judged. Like I can't admit I'm an alcoholic because people are going to look at me. I'm that bum in the street with a brown paper bag. Well, the reality is anything that you put before God is, is really a violation of the 10 commandments. And, uh, you know, when I look at it that way, like God calls me to put him first and worship only him. And I was worshiping alcohol, right. Or worshiping a career, worshiping money. That's, that's all putting idols ahead of my savior. Hmm. And, and again, I'm not perfect at it, you know, but today I practice gratitude.
1: Um, I would tell you that there's very few people as humble and real, uh, as Bart. And, um, It's something to be said about being able to to share like that. In addition to that, like if you have anything in your life that's broken, not only your heart and soul, but if you have a tire or a machine or a tractor (laughs) or a car or an airplane, Bart will fix it for you. I'll try. Bart (laughs) will fix it for you. I see him all the time. So I just love you. And I just, I know he asked and asked the the band to come forward. Just ask if you had something, anything else you want to share specifically. Yeah,
2: I I think if you're struggling, we're, I was afraid to ask for help and it wasn't until I humbled myself to ask for help from others around me especially you know fellow brothers and sisters in this church we're all broken and and today I'm grateful I'm in recovery it's renewed my life it's renewed my relationship with God and I think our society just likes to judge people and to me you know what no one in here's my judge He's my judge. So that's how I go about life. But I would encourage you just just to ask for help. Thank you, Bart. Thanks, buddy. Love you.
1: Just before we uh, we sing this song, you know, John Newton was a, had a mom that was a strong believer, and she died when he was she was he was very young, and his father was a ship captain and he kind of got dragged into a pretty rough life and ended up being a, involved in slave ships and ended up being a captain of a slave ship and saw the evil that a men could commit against other men. And he was in the middle of a storm one time and he prayed to God that God would, could God save someone like him who had participated in this horrible situation and God listened to him and his story became, he became a pastor and wrote a lot of hymns and one of the most famous hymns that he wrote was Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. But now I I see the testimony that all of us have, not just that one time that we accept Jesus. And if you haven't done that, to do that today. But we need to understand that every single day, that we're just sinners saved by grace.
0: Amen. Amazing. Amazing grace, how sweet. to stand and sing with us this morning. The sound that sings
1: sufficient for you god's grace is sufficient not just for the apostle paul not just for me it's for you for all of us god's grace is sufficient for you receive his grace if you need prayer there'll be a prayer team up here i mean we to be honest we all need prayer so feel free to come forward for prayer to pray with each other pray for each other there'll be a lot of people up here willing to pray for you god bless you all have a great day